Hello, friends. This is Ethan Sawyer, a.k.a. College Essay Guy. My goal here is to bring more ease, joy, and purpose into the college application process. I kind of always want to say porpoise there. More porpoises. That's what we need in the college app process. Welcome to the College Essay Guy podcast, where it's my job to interview some awesome people in the college admissions world and turn their awesome genius and insights into practical, actionable stuff that you can do whether you're applying to college or helping someone else. So I'm super excited about this episode, and it represents part one of three in a series of incredible resources put together by my beautiful colleagues, Jeff Levy and Jenny Kent, whom you'll meet shortly. So check this out. This first resource, which is the topic of this first podcast that you're about to hear, is a spreadsheet. I know that sounds exciting, but stay with me. That provides a list of over 400 colleges, and that's not all, (laughs) and tells you what their total cost of attendance is, what percentage of financial need they meet, and get this, what percentage of students receive merit aid, and what the average merit aid award is. So in terms of scholarships, this kind of lays the thing bare. And actually, colleges have really been interested in seeing this. Like, who gives how much money, and to how many students do they give it? So it's kind of awesome, and I'm so, so grateful for, uh, to Jeff and Jenny for putting this information together. Now, this podcast is just with Jeff Levy, and it covers financial aid for students who are applying to college in the U.S. and who are from the U.S., so we call these domestic applicants, okay? The next episode, and this is just a little teaser, covers how much financial aid is given to students applying from outside the U.S., so international students, and that interview is with Jenny Kent, since that's her specialty. And guess what? Spoiler, they've got a chart for that too. For the third episode, I interview both Jeff and Jenny, and they share with you what I think is the coolest, most exciting resource, which I'll tell you about on that episode. But on this podcast, the one you're about to hear, Jeff and I discuss this really cool resource on which schools are most generous with financial aid. And after he shares with us his story, we discuss three huge myths that students and parents have about financial planning for college, uh, why parents should basically ignore the school's sticker price, which schools meet 100% of demonstrated need, and what that means, a tool you can use to help you figure out how much a school might offer you based on how much money you or your parents make. Uh, what Jeff believes the biggest problem is with the financial aid process, why he created this resource in the first place, and most importantly, how you can use this tool along with a few other resources we'll talk about to decide which school might be right for you. All this and more on this episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the College Essay Guy podcast. I'm here with a man whom I have admired from a distance for a while. And I told him this when I first met him uh, earlier this year. I said, you, you know, I went up and I said, you are the Jeff Levy. And he kind of laughed. I think I kind of embarrassed him. But um, I convinced him to come onto the podcast and share with you this really, one of really three rad resources. And we'll, we'll share with you what those are in a little bit. Just to give a little quick bio on who this dude is, uh, Jeff has um, gotten a certificate in college counseling from UCLA. He's a professional member of so many organizations. Some of you will have heard of these and some of you won't. IECA, HECA, NACAC, NCAG. You can Google those to know what those are or look in the show notes. Uh, he's also a certified educational planner, which 
if you heard the Steve Antonoff episode, you know that's legit and that's super hard to get. Um, he teaches uh, counselors. So he's kind of like a counselor's counselor, helping counselors do their job better. He teaches at the Summer Training Institute for IECA. Uh, he's taught at the UC San Diego Extension courses. But before that, and I want to, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit about this, Jeff. He, he, you worked as, an, as a gaffer and cinematographer in dear old Hollywood. Is that right? Yeah, I started in New York and then uh, moved with my very young family at the time to Los Angeles. Wow. Got into the business here. Well, first of all, thank you. Thanks, Jeff, for you know being on the podcast. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. So uh, tell me a little bit. I mean, before we even get into the whole deal, like, what did you learn being a gaffer and cinematographer? What did that teach you about life? Um, that could be a whole, a whole other <laughs> podcast, but um, there did, I guess the thing it taught me was that there are um, many, many roads to personal, creative, professional success. Mm. Uh, just seeing directors and writers and cinematographers and producers all come from a different place um, and um, in many cases, doing very well in the industry uh, gave me a perspective that there's no one preferred path. Yeah. So how did you make the transition then from, you know, this world of the Hollywood world to the education world and college affordability? Well, some of these writers decided in um, 07, 08 to um, strike for higher wages and better working conditions right. and better terms. And I, right. I guess I... Uh, intellectually was in favor of a lot of their demands, but um, <laughs> I found myself as uh, a member of another local, um, uh, the set lighting uh, local in Hollywood, out of work for, for many months, work shut down. Um, and it, this coincided with um, my older daughter's, uh, I think she was in 10th grade at the time, maybe just going into 11th. And, um, she had done very well in high school <clears throat> and um, it was time and she was starting on her own to start thinking about college. And I knew absolutely nothing about college mm-hmm. and even less about how to afford it. So um, uh, I started doing some research and um, realized that I loved it a little more than a parent was supposed to love it. <laughs> and with time on my, with time on my hands and, uh, uh, a thought in the back of my head that I may uh, need to switch careers um, that I wasn't sure I wanted to continue into old age, not knowing when when my next paycheck would would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a first course um, at the UCLA Extension program, and it was taught by Angel Perez, who at the time was the director of admission at Pitzer. He's now VP of enrollment and Dean of Admissions at Trinity College. And he was completely inspirational. I knew by the middle of that six-week course that this was the career I was going to move into, um, and I kind of haven't turned back. Um, a few years later, I, I, I kind of segued out of film and full-time into college consulting. But um, um, as, a, uh, as an epilogue, that same daughter of mine... Um, 
uh, completed college successfully and is now a working television writer in Hollywood. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I, I guess he, uh, things turn out the way they're supposed to turn out. Right. Repping family. One, one, one Levy saves the industry at least. Um, and, and you, I, I want to pick up on something you said, you said you turned out, it turned out you loved it way more than you should have. Like what did, what did you love about it? What did, what did, what did you, and what do you love about this, this work? Um, I really believe that college can be a transformational time for students. It, it was for me, um, uh, and we're not going to go into that <laughs> today, but, um, um, it's, so it's, it's a time when kids become adults in so many ways. And, um, uh, but what we're faced with is a real problem in this country because we have, probably the best system of higher education in the world, but it's also um, one of the top two or three most expensive. So access becomes a real serious issue for many kids graduating high school. So I just began, I became very enthusiastic about helping families figure out not just which colleges, you know, their child should apply to, but, or, or helping students figure out not only what colleges they should apply to, but also helping families figure out how to make it affordable. Yeah. And what are, what are some of the things that you feel like people get wrong about this process? Are there any, can you bust some, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of busting myths. Can you bust some myths for us in terms of, you know, paying for college? Yeah, um, you know, one I, I hear over and over again from some loud and ill-informed, quote, experts <laughs> is that you shouldn't save for college, that, that that's going to hurt your uh, eligibility for financial aid. Mm -hmm. And um, that is so wrong that it's, it's, um, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, the colleges, it's like saying don't, save to buy your first home. I mean, it just, it makes no sense. Right. So, um, and why do people say uh, that in the first place? Like, why is that? What's the misunderstanding there? Why is that information out there? Because when a family apply the, the, the grain of truth in it, and it's a grain, um, you know, as opposed to the whole, the whole plant, um, uh, when families apply for financial aid, their income and their assets are looked at, looked at closely in order to determine what it is they are expected to pay toward their child's college education. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, if you have savings, a portion of that will reduce your financial aid by a certain amount. That amount is actually quite low and it becomes um, much more difficult to afford college if you haven't saved than it is to afford college if you've saved responsibly and um, over a long period of time. Um, it's just you're in a much better place to afford college if you have saved. Gotcha. What about, what about 529 plans? You know, I've, I've heard that. Even my daughter's too, but people are already talking to me about those. <laughs> and you're, you're already panicking about how you're going to afford college. <laughs> Absolutely. This is um, me preparing for my future, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, I don't know what's going to be around in uh, 15 or 16 years from now. Yeah. Uh, um, but right now, 529 plans are a good way to save for college. They're not great. They're not as good as uh, as an IRA is uh, uh, to save for retirement or a 401k. But there are – I won't get into all the details now. There are – a few tax advantages to um, putting money away over time into a 529 plan. Um, it's, uh, I think it's one of the best ways to save. Okay, great. What are some other, bust some more myths for us, Jeff. What else do people get wrong? Well, um, a, a really big one that I run into with, uh, with parents is that, um, they look at the sticker price. They see that at some of the most prestigious schools, they're, they're uh, private universities. They have a sticker price now of sixty-five, seventy, even $75,000 a year. And the families immediately assume that um, that's unaffordable. So let's restrict our search to... Uh, public institutions in state. Um, What's wrong about that way of thinking is that uh, if a family has a moderate to substantial amount of need that they can demonstrate through, um, you know, through applying for financial aid, um, the, the private institutions with the highest sticker prices are in many cases the most generous with financial aid as well. Mm. So um, you're not paying based on what the price of the school is uh, as much as you are paying based on what the government and institutions determine you're able to afford. Mm-hmm. Now, they, you know, they have a different definition of what's affordable than, than any family will have. Um, but, uh, but the most generous financial aid packages often come from those schools. And I'll just say one more thing in my own case, as I was just beginning to learn the rules of the road about college affordability, when my older daughter was still in high school, uh, it turned out, um, that, uh, as a, as a good student, um, she got into some of the top university of California campuses and she also got into um, some very selective uh, Ivy League schools, mm-hmm. and it cost me. And I was, you know, I was a middle-income guy. Uh, of course, everyone defines that differently as well. <laughs> but um, I wasn't poor, and I wasn't rich. Um, it cost me less out of pocket to send her to Columbia University than it would have to send her to UCLA or Berkeley. Literally, it was several thousand dollars a year less out of pocket after her financial aid award. So the big lesson is ignore the sticker price and um, work with someone knowledgeable to figure out what your net price will be um, for each year of college. Great. That's really clear. Thank you. What else? Give us one more. What else do people get wrong? Um, there, there is a pretty widespread um, um, uh, misperception that if your kid does really well in high school, they're going to get all kinds of merit aid mm. um, at, 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 at most of the colleges. 
um, it's important for families to know that the most selective schools in the country, the Ivies and the like Ivies, give zero in merit aid. They are entirely driven by uh, a need-based aid model. So if you're a family who um, uh, is doing fairly well financially, but, the, um, <laughs> but your ability to pay 70 or 75,000 a year per child uh, is not something that, that you can easily do. Right. Uh, and you need some form of, um, of financial assistance to, uh, to help you uh, afford college. Um, the IVs may not be a good choice at all because they get zero in merit aid. You, you should probably be looking at some of the colleges that are academically very strong. Um, but, uh, do offer merit aid as an enrollment tool for um, high achieving students and other students who uh, meet some of their institutional um, uh, goals. You know, as you're talking, I was imagining the parent listening and going, boy, but how do I even know, you know, how much these schools offer in terms of merit aid? And the what popped into my head is like, wouldn't it be cool if somebody just like figured out, you know, how much each of these schools give as an average merit aid award and like, you know, put that all in a document and, you know, release you know, that information really, publicly. Really funny that you should uh, bring that up, <laughs> Ethan. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so part of what we, we, uh, we do want to talk about today, this podcast, is um, one of the charts that my colleague Jenny Kent and I have been distributing free of charge um, for the, um, actually, this is the first year we're doing. We, we've been distributing a number of charts, charts for three years. This was a hard one to pull, pull together. Uh, this was our first year. We, uh, we dropped it in August. And what the, it's, a, it's an Excel spreadsheet. And um, we developed it because we needed this tool at our disposal so that we could advise families knowledgeably. Um, so what this is, is a fairly simple Excel spreadsheet, which you can also access. Uh, we'll go into later where to access it, but it's also available as a simple PDF for those of you who might be a little intimidated by Excel spreadsheets. I was, but uh, <laughs> gradually I'm becoming more used to them. Um, that lists um, about, over, about 420 colleges, I believe, alphabetically. Um, it gives the total cost of attendance, the sticker price. It, um, it uh, gives you the uh, total undergraduate population. And then it gets into what I think is really necessary um, financial information to be able to evaluate these schools to see if, it's, if it makes sense financially for, for any particular family. One of the co columns is percentage of need met. So in other words, um, um, Amherst and Barnard and Bates, the top three um, colleges on the list, meet 100% of needs. So whatever the FAFSA and the CSS profile, the other form that is um, used by many of these schools in determining financial need, whatever the financial need is they determine you have, those colleges and about 60 more will meet 100% of need. So that's very good for families with a substantial amount of need 
to know. Um, the next column um, is the, um, the next two columns have to do with merit aid. And one of them is the average merit aid award given um, um, to students, to undergraduates in the institution. Um, so that's nice. That's very important to know. But by itself, it isn't enough information. So I see here that on uh, my chart that I'm looking at, Boston College, for example, averages a, a merit aid award of $21,388. That's a large average merit aid award. However, in the column next to it, we learn that 4% of undergraduates receive merit aid at Boston College. So um, you have to use both of those columns, the average size of the award and the um, percentage of students receiving it. Uh, as an example of a school where a larger percentage of students receive merit, I'm just scanning down my, my same chart, uh, I see Grinnell College, wonderful place, um, has an average it meets 100% of need, which is great, and it's also very generous with merit aid. It's a school that has a lot of money. Um, their average merit aid award is, is about 17000 and 57% of their undergraduates are receiving merit aid. So um, I would call that a, a, a school that is quite generous with merit aid. This is great. So that's sort of um, uh, this data, just one last Thing yeah, that uh, all comes from the common data set. Um, um, the most recent one that is out is 2016-2017, and um, we've compiled painstakingly. Jenny and I have compiled all of this data, which is sortable in the Excel spreadsheet. Tell us, for folks who don't know what the common data set is, will you just mention briefly what that is and, and why that's a reliable thing? Yeah, um, the, the, common, the common data set is a kind of consortium, it's an institutional research consortium of many um, colleges and universities, but not all, um, who publish all of the important data. I mean, pages and pages and pages of stuff, including what are the important factors in the admission process? Uh, uh, information about transfer applications, just on and on and on. Everything you'd want to know about, about what's under the hood of a college. Um, and uh, it publishes it in a um, standardized format. So um, uh, the, uh, there's no one place to go to see all of the colleges, but you would Google for example, Grinnell College Common Data Set, and um, it would it would probably be the the first result on your Google search, and um, it's free, and you uh, it's just a really reliable source of data for anything you might want to know. That's great, and just to. Uh, give a side note, kind of a footnote to what else, the other kind of stuff you can find there. You can also find out if you just do exactly what Jeff just said, where you Google the name of the school, common data set, you'll find out things like, you know, how much does demonstrated interest matter? In other words, you know, does a school care if you, you know, if you've 
taken, you know, had an interview, if you show up uh, on campus to take a tour, if you've, you know, been in touch with the admissions officer, if you've written a, a why us essay. So things like that for some schools matter more than others. And you can find out how much that matters through the common data set. If, and for more, for more on demonstrated interest, you can just listen to that. That's a separate podcast and a separate uh, uh, resource for how to demonstrate interest. Um, so talk to me, Jeff, about why this is such an important thing. You, you said something really interesting as we were chatting about this, um, you know, recently, where you talked about how this is a pretty big financial decision. Um, why? What, what's you, you mentioned? There was something. I'm, I'm kind of trying to lead you into this. There was something kind of messed up about, like, when we find out about this financial decision. Um, the financial aid process is far more opaque than it should be. It's complicated. Uh, it, it's not intuitive. And the biggest single problem with it is that families don't find out until the end of the process, not the beginning of the process, what the net cost is actually going to be to them after financial aid. Right. Um, it, it's like the only large purchase that anyone will ever make that <laughs> they don't know the price going in. It's right. like they only know the price coming out. And the way that timeline looks is um, if you're if, if the student is applying regular decision as most students do they will be hearing from the college you know between middle of March and April 1st about whether they've been admitted uh, they will hopefully along with that um, uh, acceptance letter or, or in a day or two following that get a, a separate letter which says what their financial aid award is and therefore what the family is going to have to pay. Yeah. I've That's always thought of it as, yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. I've always thought of it as two rounds of acceptance. It's like, first you get this answer and then you get the second answer. <laughs> right. Right. Congratulations. You've been admitted. And then, uh, then the parents say, dear, you know, we're so sorry, but you're not going. Um, right. But, uh, uh, so that's the, be that's the beginning of April. And, uh, May 1st is the last day you can deposit, um, um, you know, you have to, you have to commit, but so, so families have three, maybe four weeks to make a decision about what will be in many cases, the most or second most expensive purchase they will ever make. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's actually, nuts. it's actually a pretty good sales tactic though, right? It's, it reminds me of like the, you're sitting in the dealership, you know, and they've got you on hold, you know, for like two hours saying, let me talk to my manager. And then they go, okay, uh, so we've got, you know, here's the price that I can give you. It's a little bit higher than what you wanted, but we got another caller on the line that's ready to take it if you're not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, um, maybe I'm less cynical than you are. I, I don't think that's why they no, do it. I don't think so. But, um, but it's, a, it's a broken system that, you know, is not really going to get fundamentally fixed in the foreseeable future. So, so we hope, Jenny and I hope that this chart will help families, will help counselors and educational consultants um, uh, share with their, with their students and families an approximation of what these colleges will actually cost much earlier in the process so we can build sensible college lists and not put colleges on a student's list that we know are way out of reach 
um, financially for a family. Yeah. I've heard it said that there are three dimensions to fit, right? There's what the student wants, there's what the parent can afford, and what the college wants, right? So this is like that, that, that third dimension. What, so let's get into the practical then. So how do folks use this, and what other resources are available to them so that they can find out a little bit sooner than three weeks before the bill is due, or the decision needs to be made about, you know, which schools might be in range for them financially? All right, so there, this does get a little complicated, but if, if a family has used some other resources to figure out with some accuracy that their expected family contribution, their EFC, is um, not going to be 70000 or $60,000, but is more in the range of ten dollars or $20,000 or $30,000 per year that they're expected to pay per year, um, it, it, which would align with income in the range of uh, uh, 80, 90, 100, 120,000 a year, um, that's still a family with substantial need at most colleges because they're, they're tens of thousand dollars away from being able to afford the sticker price of the college. So they, if they are able to learn, and we can get into some of the other tools in a moment that, where they can learn that, but um, if they do get this information that they have a moderate to substantial amount of need, um, they're, in other words, they're twenty or thirty or $40,000 short of, um, of an EFC that is equal to the sticker price, the $70,000 sticker price of the college, then they want to look for schools that will be meeting full need or close to full need. So I would, uh, I would get a hold of this chart. Um, I would sort it um, according to the percent of need met column. And I would look at those um, 70 or 80 or 90 colleges that um, are meeting 90, 95, 100% of need. Great. So that's one way that families with with some, you know, some amount of financial need can narrow down the list of colleges that make sense for them. Great. And I'll if just, the, I'm sorry, I'll just jump yeah, in and say ahead. that for folks listening, if you're Excel-phobic and you're not sure how to sort an Excel sheet, don't worry. There will be a simple step-by-step -step in the show notes showing you exactly which buttons to push in order to do, to get the chart to do what Jeff just said it can do. So go ahead. And uh, it literally is a five-second operation. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. That's how long it takes to sort it that way. Um, uh, if you're a family who um, has, a, has a little more wealth, and uh, as I described before, maybe it's a family that has an adjusted gross income annually of um, 250000 a year, and maybe, maybe they've, got, they've been saving some money. They've got a 150000 in savings and investments and that sort of thing, um, uh, they may learn that their EFC is sixty, sixty-five, $70,000 a year. So they don't earn, uh, they don't earn enough to uh, pay seventy grand a year for their child in college, but they're earning too much to get any financial aid. So they would use this chart. They would sort for um, average merit award to see the, the set of colleges that are most generous with merit aid. They would make sure that a, uh, a substantial enough a percentage of undergraduates are receiving merit aid, as I described earlier, at those schools. And they will find some amazing schools on that list that historically 
are generous with merit aid. And if the student is, you know, is a fairly strong candidate at that, um, uh, at that institution, there is a pretty high probability that they will get a nice merit aid award. Um, I, every year, um, you know, a bunch of, of my students get merit aid from all sorts of colleges. So, um, so the chart can be used that, that way as well. That's great. That's all super clear. <clears throat> Tell us, what are some of those tools that you mentioned that you alluded to that where students can figure out and families can figure out what, for example, their estimated family contribution is going to be? Okay. So there are two main places that um, families should go to begin to inform them about what their EFC, their expected family contribution, might be way early in the process before the, the school counselor or the, in, or the uh, educational consultant begins to uh, assemble the college list. Um, one place um, is called FAFSA Forecaster. Uh, Ethan, I'm gonna, so is this something that is, you're going to send out to people? We'll put or, all, all uh, in the show notes. Yeah, when people go to the show notes at the end, they can just click on the link. Okay, great. So FAFSA Forecaster is like um, FAFSA Lite. Uh, very simple to fill out. Um, it's done online. It can be done any time of the year. Your child can be in ninth grade and you can do it. Um, uh, and that will yield, that will, you, you punch in your numbers, you fill out the form, the online form, and it will tell you at the end what your uh, expected family contribution is. Um, that's a useful tool um, for the set of schools, which is almost all colleges, with the exception of about 200 of them, um, but all the others that only use the FAFSA, that is a good guide to what your expected family contribution will be at those colleges. Um, uh, the other place to go for the 200 schools that, in addition to the FAFSA, use the CSS profile, um, uh, a better place to go because the, the, the profile also, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but okay. the, the profile also looks at, at home equity in the, in the family's primary residence, in their, their principal home. The FAFSA does not. So um, that can, you know, if a family was really smart and bought um, – Bought in a in a in a city or an area that uh, over the years has um, grown in value, uh, um, they may have accumulated a lot of equity in their home. So for schools that use this second form, the CSS profile, they're asking you about the equity in your home, and um, the FAFSA doesn't even ask about that. So I would recommend for people looking at those schools, and those tend to be the most selective colleges. Um, I would recommend going to um, uh, the college board's net price calculator. And um, the way to do this is just to um, go to the college board site, uh, the college board net price calculator site, and there you will see a list of um, several hundred schools that license the college board net price calculator. You would um, plug in your numbers, and it will tell you approximately what you would be expected to pay at those colleges. 
None of these methods is foolproof. None are foolproof. Um, if you're going to use the net price calculator, I recommend doing it at two, three for two, three or four schools, kind of triangulate the answers. And then you're going to have a much better idea of approximately what some of these schools might cost you. Yeah, this is great. This, to me, this resource, well, one of the three that we're going to talk about on this three-part podcast uh, series, but it, it, to me, feels indispensable. It feels like it's absolutely necessary. I have two questions for you about this, Jeff. One, given the work that it took you and Jenny to assemble it, was it worth it? And two, do you feel committed to creating this year after year? <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot of work. Um, we not only go to the... Um, common data set that the common data sets that are available online, but we then follow up with each institution. If we can't find it, um, uh, we follow up multiple times. We really hunt these down from as many, you know, from, like I said, about 400, 450 institutions. So it's a lot of work. Uh, we are absolutely committed committed to doing it each year. Uh, we may be crazy to do it, but I don't know how. I honestly don't know how to do my work efficiently without having this at my disposal. And I don't know of any other resource that. Um, I mean, there are other resources like the Common Data Set, like CollegeData.com, where you can get this individual. You can get this information for each individual college, mm -hmm. but I know of no place that aggregates all of the institutions together so that you can compare them and see which set makes the most sense for you. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. no, no. I just was agreeing with you saying, yeah, I don't know that, that either. I think you, you guys have done it. And I'm so, we, as a, I'll just thank us on behalf of all counselors out there. We thank you for this. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, before we close, I'd love to, I'd love to end with the show and tell, which is what's something that you're listening to or that you're reading or that you've been inspired by lately that that's just on your mind. Um, I'm almost done with Ta-Nehisi Coates's newest book called We Were Eight Years in Power, An American Tragedy. Mm. Um, it's an interesting collection of one of his columns per year for each year of the Obama presidency and the connecting tissue between his essays were written recently. So he's sort of reflecting back on what he said eight, nine years ago and seven or eight years ago. Um, so it's kind of a, it's his own commentary on his own commentary. Mm. And um, I just think he is one of the smartest people out there today talking about race and talking about American history and politics and how all of those fit or grind together. Um, I just learn a lot from him every time I read them. So that's, that's what I've been, uh, that's what I've been reading. One of the things I've been reading lately and, uh, uh, a movie I just watched last night for the first time was, um, sheer entertainment. It's called, Open Range. Um, <laughs> this is awesome. Do you know the do, do you know the movie? I've never seen it, but I know it's an animated film, right? No, no, it's oh. a um, it's a Kevin Costner directed western okay. from two thousand three. I think it flopped when it came out. Okay, but um, 
Uh, it's got a little bit of a schmaltzy beginning, but stick with it. And um, it is one of these iconic, existential American stories um, in a way that only really good Westerns can tell that story. Um, so I, it's, uh, it's, I just found it, um, I found it really, uh, really kind of moving, actually. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of something that has a similar title, but it's just, just it's a kid's cartoon. <laughs> so probably not what you were thinking <laughs> no. of. Um, but um, no. um, yeah, so what I'm listening to, last night I heard this really rad podcast from uh, Lewis Howes does this uh, podcast uh, Howes, H-O-W-E-S, I'll link to it, called The School of Greatness. But he did this amazing interview with uh, a woman named Bozoma St. John. And uh, she lost her husband to cancer uh, a few years ago. She's done so much. She, you know, worked for Pepsi, worked for Beats, and it just talked about, you know, branding and the ways that just her ability to find strength throughout in her life. She's just got an incredible story. I'm, I'm not being very articulate about what I learned from it, but just hearing her story and her living her best life, and then suddenly, you know, her husband is stricken with cancer and then six months later he's gone, like he dies. And just hearing the way that she processed through that and, you know, a few moments that they shared together before he passed was just, just had me thinking about my own life, my own relationship with my wife and feeling a lot of gratitude. And, um, and she's just also a really just powerful human being in this world. And now she's working for Uber and working to sort of turn things around for them. And, you know, talking about what it's like to be, she's from Ghana, uh, you know, being the minority in Silicon Valley, because how many, you know, black women are in positions of power? She sort of mentions this and how she feels like she's, you know, making a stand for that. So she's a hugely inspiring person. I'm getting chills thinking about. Um, and she's got an amazing voice and spirit. So anyway, that's, I highly recommend that. So, um, Thank you, Jeff. I mean, it's not going to be long. We're going to, the, the folks listening, y'all check out episode, the next, ep, you know, we've got two episodes, two more episodes in this series. Um, coming up next, we've got Jenny Kent. And then check out Jeff's, the third, ep, the third episode of this is going to be, I think, my favorite because uh, there's just, there's a chart that I feel like is another one that's sort of indispensable. So that's a quick teaser for that. But Jeff, thank you. I really, I just appreciate your time and your, and your work. My pleasure. Thank you for giving me a chance to um, to talk to your listeners about college affordability. It's, um, it's very important to me, and I think it should be important to everyone. And uh, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Great. We will link in the show notes to where you can find Jeff's charts. You can get them on the Excel or on the PDF through his website. Um, so you can check out those links. And um, yeah, thanks. Hey, friends. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed that. Jeff is pretty cool, huh? Uh, stay tuned for part two, where we discuss which schools are the most generous with financial aid for international students. And if you're not an international student, skip ahead to the next episode, where we discuss should you apply early decision or regular decision and a chart that can help you decide. You'll find the show notes, which is to say everything we discussed on the podcast, if you go to collegeessayguy.com slash podcast. If you haven't seen it already, I've got a free guide to the personal statement on my website. Just go to collegeessayguide.com and click on free and you'll find that. On the free page, you'll also find a little box that you can type in basically anything that you're looking for. If it has to do with college and the application process, I've probably written something on it. Finally, if you're a counselor listening to this and you haven't yet joined my College Essay Forum for Counselors, that's a private Facebook group, just type in College Essay Forum for Counselors on the Facebook and join us. That's all. Stay curious. <laughs>